to refute the commentary of our friends Daryl Hall and John Oates, no. Out of touch because we're keenly aware in the fast lane that the excitement that came from yesterday's very thrilling men's Grand Slam final at Wimbledon is because of its place in the sports calendar as much as the actual thrill of the match itself. And look, I'm as big of a tennis apologist as anybody. The Novak Djokovic calendar slam ticket, that one goes the way of the dodo bird. It is no longer relevant and it is extinct. But thankfully, having gotten Carlos Alcaraz four to one, four and a half to one before the match, uh, before the tournament to win the whole, to win Wimbledon. Congratulations. uh, You know, I appreciate it. I was just going to say, I was going to say before I forgot to turn my mic on um, properly, is that it was so good. I watched it. You did. Did you not see my tweet? I said, "This is I'm enjoying the tennis." Yes, I saw that part, but I didn't know if you were really paying attention. No, I Trey. watched the final. You did because it's it was like the you know I I would watch like if Federer and Nadal were in the final, I'd watch that as like kind of like you know before I really got into golf, it was like Tiger. Like that's how I treated tennis. Like if Federer and Nadal were playing each other, I'd probably watch it, but. Alcatraz was amazing. And Alcaraz. Alcaraz. You're not, by the, hold up. You're not the first one to say this. One of our listeners, Tom, who is from the Bay Area, says you've been there long enough when you start calling him Alcatraz instead of Alcaraz. So, Alcaraz. Well, it, it was cool to see. He, he was incredible. It, you know, it felt like, I know he, he won a major already, he won a U.S. Open, but this really felt like his, you know, the guy, and knowing his story a little bit, as you've told me, like the young phenom finally breaking through, and it feels like he's ultimately now just kind of set off into his, his like, superstar-making journey. So it's it's an interesting discussion. First of all, you watched the match for Wimbledon yesterday, Trey, and you're not a tennis guy the way that I am. Be Be 100% honest as well. Because this is one of the other points. Part of what made it captivating is you've got, I would say, arguably the greatest of all time in Novak Djokovic. Some fans of Federer and Nadal, like my wife, Nadal apologist that she is, would dispute that. But he has the most Grand Slams. He's the most evenly distributed amongst all of the Grand Slam surfaces. At least three at the French Open and obviously more at the U.S., Australian, and Wimbledon. Novak Djokovic has. Um, So he's got that going for him. I I think at this point we can safely say that the calendar slam isn't going to happen. The odds of him being able to defeat Carlos Alcaraz five times next year, if you count the Olympics, and four times in a normal year, just are not going to add up if you look at it logistically. You're talking about Djokovic, who's 36, and then Alcaraz, who is 20 years old. So that's the one obvious point. But there's the other part to this as well, and you mentioned it, Trey, that in prior years it was Federer and Nadal. Now it's Djokovic and Alcaraz, who has been touted as the next phenom. And look, I've been as guilty of, as anybody of fueling the hype train on it. And, I mean, God bless tennis when Djokovic retires, because I could easily see Alcaraz just steamrolling the field for the next three to four years until some like 10-year-old that we don't know who he is right now happens to take his place or at least give him a legitimate challenge. And maybe that ends up happening, but then again, it, it, it's pretty obvious that it was Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal who wiped out an entire generation of tennis players. So part of it is the fact that you've got the wears his emotions on his sleeve, uh, maybe the greatest athlete 
of all time in tennis in Alcaraz, or at least the potential to get to that point. Djokovic is the greatest, most athletically gifted out of the bunch in terms of fight, dexterity, longevity, ability to win on multiple surfaces. But the style doesn't really lend itself. You know, boxing fans will appreciate this. I know it's kind of ironic we're talking tennis and boxing, but they are individual sports where it's one-on-one, literally you versus whoever your opponent is, a bunch of support staff, but inevitably it's you versus your opponent in the heat of the moment. But Manny Pacquiao is the guy that some people may go to. I go with Floyd Mayweather. God bless Mayweather off the uh, outside the boxing ring because Djokovic, for all of his quirks and ticks, and there are a lot of them if you Google them, he's not Floyd Mayweather in terms of domestic violence situations that have popped up. But stylistically, they're very similar. They're both defensive guys. So while they're the greatest, you could argue, at their particular profession. You know, obviously, Muhammad Ali. Floyd is. Floyd is, you could argue. Floyd is the greatest defensive boxer ever. Yes, and, and I would argue Novak Djokovic's the greatest defensive tennis player, and I would say, to me, he's the greatest player ever. But stylistically, it doesn't come to mind the way that, like, for boxing... And I'm not going to get into the weeds because I don't know nearly as much, but Mike Tyson or Evander Holyfield, they're aggressive. They're attackers. You know, people love that. Mike Tyson's aggression is a good luck. Yeah, I mean, it's in, it's, it's in a sphere of its own. Let's not, let, let's not get it twisted. But he was also an incredible boxer. It's just he had power that could probably kill a normal human being. Uh, yes, he definitely did. And maybe he's mellowed out a little bit in his uh, latter years. He does take a lot of, we'll just say, vitamins. <laughs> Yes, we'll go with that. Yes, Trey. Um, the other point, though, to this, because you mentioned watching Wimbledon yesterday. How much of this is the place on the sports calendar? Because you've got Djokovic versus Alcaraz is probably going to be the norm going forward for a championship. But realistically, it's the French Open and Wimbledon that are going to capture the majority of attention in the United States. And in particular, it's Wimbledon, not just because of the mystique of Wimbledon and the All England Club and, you know, up until recently where they've relaxed the rules, everyone wears white and, you know, kind of a hoity-toity society. You know, if you think Augusta Nationals, hoity-toity, Wimbledon maybe even takes the cake on that. But it's the time on the sports calendar tray as well. The U.S. Open Championships, they moved it back so that, once again, it coincides with the opening day of the National Football League. I love tennis, but I'm not dumb enough to believe, so to answer the Three Stooges question... Are you that dumb? No, I don't think I am. I'm smart enough to realize that if it was that type of matchup that we saw yesterday, Alcaraz versus Djokovic, regardless of the outcome, and maybe we'll get that at the U.S. Open... It will not gain the level of attention that Wimbledon got from a United States perspective because you're not beating the NFL head-to-head. And there are 25 to 30 million people that watch the late afternoon NFL window, which literally goes head-to-head with the U.S. Open. You've got the Australian Open. I love it. I'm going to get up early to watch it. But it starts at like 5 in the morning. Nope. Not for you, Trey. Not for a lot of Americans. Let's put it this way. The only time I was getting up at 5 a.m. is when I was forced to get up at 5 a.m. because of a paycheck I had here. But by the way, note this as well if you want that commentary. The Women's World Cup, their matches start at 6 in the morning when they get ready to play. At least their group stage matches start at 6 in the morning. Shoot. Uh, All right, so I may be getting up for them. Yes, and and it's likely, I mean, I'll be up anyway to to consume those and to watch them and and find a way to listen to them on the TuneIn app, usually for myself. But Trey, here is the truth of it as well when it comes to that. The time zone does impact it. If it was the Women's World Cup in Europe where they could be playing at noon, 
on a weekend day. I mean, heck, big noon football, kickoff, college football, Saturdays, draws, huge numbers. Biggest rated game of the year is a noon kickoff game in college football every year. Michigan, Ohio State. So you've got that as a blueprint. The NFL, they could have games at noon or at 1 o'clock. Thanksgiving Day is a prime example. It doesn't rate as high as the 4.30 game with Dallas or the 8 o'clock game, but it rates pretty highly in terms of viewership. That's a different beast. Wimbledon is in a different spot. Where it is in the calendar contributed to the attention yesterday. The French Open might be able to rival it, but even then, when the French Open is going on, there is still the Stanley Cup Final, the College World Series for men's and women's, uh, for baseball and softball, men's and women's respectively, of course. There's the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, and they are at their final. And by the way, the, the network that carries it, which is ESPN, happens to pump a lot of coverage and attention, I'd say justifiably so, to those other sports, particularly the NBA. Wimbledon had the calendar to itself yesterday. The only potential competition was NASCAR, which got postponed to today. And if you missed the race today, you really didn't miss much from an entertainment perspective. But Trey, from Wimbledon's standpoint, from and again, I've given you kind of my overview. Are you How much of this matchup yesterday was because of its place on the calendar as much as the captivating storyline of was there a legitimate challenger to Djokovic and was Alcaraz going to be able to live up to the hype that people had thrust upon him? Yeah, it was the fact that there was no NASCAR race. There was no, you know, no, like nothing else sports-wise was on yesterday. So it it kind of forced yourself to... to um, If you wanted sports, this was one of your few yeah, options. This... The IndyCar race, which was really good, and that was about it. I mean, it really and was. And baseball. And baseball. Yeah. And, and I mean, look. Don't, I shouldn't forget baseball. Of course, you shouldn't because you have the Foul Ball Area podcast with a new episode dropping within the next couple of days. Keep it locked to the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg Facebook page for details on that. But sometimes having that to the, having something to yourself on the sports calendar can increase the exposure and value. And for tennis, Look, they they could not have asked for a better outcome yesterday in terms of the theater of that almost five-hour match. But don't kid yourself either. And again, this is coming from a tennis apologist here, but the timing on the calendar has as much as anything to do with the amount of attention that came upon that match. We will have five other observations in the Fast Five at Five-ish momentarily. Not about tennis. Um, No, there will be some about tennis, certainly. Uh, And maybe it will be if we go really quickly or depending on the timeline. Uh, And then we'll get to some others after that because there are other stories that can be discussed and followed but here's the thing trey if you want to have the spotlight all to yourself the way to get that is to maximize your performance and the way to do that is to get in shape so that you feel like the spotlight is shining on you whatever your goals are maybe it's just to be able to go on that power walk maybe it's to be able to run an event like the star city half marathon in virginia's 8k or the salem half marathon and 8k excuse me star city half marathon and 10k salem half marathon and 8k or maybe it's something else who knows it doesn't matter the reality is is if you want to feel that type of joy that type of spotlight that type of accomplishment it starts with insaneradiodeals.com 
because at InsaneRadioDeals.com, you can get individual, couples, or family memberships to Crosswide Athletic Club, which opens up access to the gym, to the indoor pool. It is fantastic. It's one of the best spots for birthday parties, especially in the wintertime. They've got a bit of an outdoor patio gym as well, if that's your thing. And they've got indoor tennis courts. So many options at Crosswide Athletic Club, but your journey there starts at InsaneRadioDeals.com. Ed? Yes, Trey? I am in shape. I'm a shape. What kind of shape? Just a shape. Maybe just, a little more rounded, but I'm a shape. You said I wasn't in shape. You know, I, 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 I've I, got the six-pack, you've got the keg. Sure. I have a six-pack, too. It's just it's just ice. It's uh, insulated. <laughs> it's insulated. I like that, Trey. I like it. A little self-deprecating humor when it comes to that. Um, but yes, so... Speaking of six-packs, by the way, um, you might have needed one if you watched the NASCAR race in its entirety entirety today. You can tell pretty early on that unless late-race shenanigans happened, this was Martin Truex Jr.'s race to win. He wins at New Hampshire, going away. He jumped out to a pretty early lead over Christopher Bell, and then there was chaos that reigned all around Truex, but the way he navigated it, it never really was threatened, even with a slew. Of late race cautions, and yes, it goes back to the old Kyle Bush adage of cautions breed cautions. Are we at a point now, Trey, where people have pointed to the Liberty University car of William Byron as a championship contender? Justifiably so. I don't ever write off Kyle Larson given his talent and that while he's had some bad luck this year, when he's been on, he's been on and he's shown he can win at a number of different tracks, including ones which take skill. And oh, by the way, if you get him to the final eight, he won at Martinsville earlier this year. Hendrick could easily get him back into the final four. But do we need to put Martin Truex Jr. into that category? Because when Truex has won these races, Trey, by and large, he has been locked in and dialed in and can you reasonably say now he should be in that group of discussion of drivers and they may not make the championship for it, Phoenix, but are serious contenders to get there. Yeah. Yeah. MTJ should be a part of it. Um, he's been consistent all year. Um, he's showing a lot more speed than he did last year. It feels like he finally, once he got that win, it just felt like, you know, he was going to keep building on it. Um, he, the three tracks you could argue he won at are like three of his best tracks, even though he's never won at New Hampshire. He led what he's the third, has led the third most laps at New Hampshire at this point and finally gets the win. And then obviously he's really good at Dover and he's really good at Sonoma. So he's winning at the tracks he's good at. He's showing speed. Uh, I really think it's a Joe Gibbs, Rick Hendrick kind of battle this year. That's kind of where it's still shaping up to be. And Martin Truex, you throw his name right right into that. And, and you know, without his his connections or to next year, his commitment to next year is probably a better way to put it. This could shape up to be a, you know, the swan song that Kevin Harvick wants that Truex gets. Yeah, I mean, it easily could be because Truex has been fairly mom on his outlook and whether he ends up retiring or not. Um, I would say at this point, Trey, if you're talking about just being satisfied with going out in a good manner, and rarely does that actually happen in sports, it's easy for many of us as fans to say that, but you're talking about people who've competed the entire time, and so one of the most ingrained instincts in competition is to not quit, so it's hard to realize when your time has come and you need to hang it up, and rarely do you get the moments where you your body has let you down, a la Peyton Manning, but things break right around you like they did with the Denver Broncos, and he wins a championship, and he knows it's kind of at the end, but he's able to ride off into the sunset. It doesn't generally work out that way. And so that's the reality of this. 
But if you're talking about which driver and team has a better chance of that walk-off moment, I don't dispute Kevin Harvick could catch fire. He did it last summer to make his way into the championship. And then obviously, if you get from the round of you know 16 down to the round of 12, maybe you get a win in the right spot and things start to snowball. We've seen that before in the playoffs. Tony Stewart's the example that comes to mind. But even last year, Joey Logano was a favorite, but he was not the runaway favored in, any, in anybody's mind. And yet, he managed to put himself in the right spot time and time again. I could see that from Kevin Harvick. But you look at the results from today, Trey, and it's another example that I think you hit the nail on the head and you should take a bit of a victory lap on this one. And that is that your concerns over four when you express them Friday in our votes of confidence seem to have been really valid because once again, it's Hendrick versus Gibbs and it's Chevrolet versus Toyota as far as manufacturers are concerned. Yeah, Ford is, you know, Ford showed some speed today, but there's no real track that you translate this track to. Um, I know some people say Phoenix. I don't really see it. Some people say that, you know, I, I at this point, my it, until Ford shows me something like outside of the drafting tracks, uh, I think this is a Toyota and Ford debate till the end. And I think this is a Joe Gibbs, Rick Hendrick or Hendrick Motorsports race till the end with I think the clear kind of four, you know, the four favorites I would say are William Byron, Kyle Larson, Martin Truex Jr., and you want to throw, you know, insert the fourth person be Denny Hamlin or maybe even Christopher Bell. Like yeah, I really I mean, think it's those those five. You could put Kyle Busch if he doesn't wreck, but I mean, like today he wrecked and finished dead last. When he's on, he's on, and he's won at different tracks, including. But if you remember, to, Phoenix. to last year, that eighteen kind of faded as the season went on. So mm-hmm. I would I would be aware of that because it is the eight. Like I know that was a different driver, but it's still you know that team did fade as the season went on. Oh, I, I agree with that particular point. Uh, I. I will go in a different direction and say I, I give the benefit of the doubt no, no, no mm. disrespect to Tyler Reddick but Kyle Busch is more accomplished similar to that vein of a guy like Kevin Harvick of a driver like Joey Logano or Brad Keselowski where the team hasn't been consistent around them but there's enough there that it would not shock me if they can squeeze the most out of their operation catch a couple breaks and voila they just so happen to be there in the right spot at the right time. Speaking of being in the right spot at the right time, we hope we are with this insight and analysis coming up right now in the Fast Five at Five-ish. It's time for the Fast Five at Five-ish. Five fast-paced, quick-witted things you need to know right now. Number five. A topic you may be hearing about at some point on the Foul Ball Area podcast, and that is the Baltimore Orioles and their CEO, John Angelos, He and Maryland Governor Wes Moore have said that progress is being made on their vision to, quote, expand and revitalize, end quote, Camden Yards. Orioles and Camden Yards looking to address the situation as the lease is set to expire soon. I don't get the sense, Trey, and again, I'm not as close to the sun on something like this as you are, but I don't get the sense at all that the Baltimore Orioles are going to actually move out of Camden Yards. Um, Don't. That is a beautiful ballpark. It is gorgeous. I've been there before. Have you as well, Trey? Yeah, that's that's actually the only Major League park I've been to. 
So it, 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 I've been to a number of them. I've been fortunate enough. Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Boston, uh, Chicago, both of them, by the way, in Chicago, among others. I don't make superstar at lane money, so unfortunately I can't. Miami, usually these are, these are trips that are tied into convenient spots. Camden Yards still takes the cake. And yes, Trey, superstar Ed Lane does not make the, as many dollar dollar bills, y'all. As many of you might lead to believe. Speaking of number four, the CW a week or so ago announced that it secured the exclusive broadcast rights to 50 ACC football and basketball games each season through 2026 and 2027. The first game to air on the ever famed channel Cincinnati against Pitt in college football. There will be a number of college basketball games and college football games, particularly those Saturday afternoon games that previously were on the regional sports networks. But a lot of those networks have been fractured based upon Sinclair Broadcasting and Valley Sports uh, having, and Diamond Sports Group, excuse me, having had their issues financially supporting those. Laugh about the CW all you want, and we did it with the Pac-12, and we'll do it again now with the ACC. This is still a good deal for the ACC in terms of reach and exposure. Believe it or not, more people are apt to find and more people are likely to find. The CW, in terms of searching for it, your casual fan to come across a sporting event, than they actually are one of these regional sports networks like a Masson or a Fox Sports South or insert your other group and organization as well. So as odd as it sounds, while it sounds like they're going to kind of a secondary channel, it's actually secondary with more exposure for the ACC. Again, it doesn't bridge the gap much between the ACC and the SEC and the Big Ten. The leverage of prior deals breaking down and not a lot of suitors plays into that. But it is still something that's pretty cool. Number three. Netflix. Two documentaries that are coming up. One on the Women's World Cup. They are going to follow the U.S. Women's National Team with an all-access series that will document everything from racial diversity to LGBTQ plus rights to equal pay, family, motherhood, and of course, what actually happens on the pitch. I don't agree with everything politically with the women's national team, but God, I'm thrilled to find something like this. I really do want to see how this ends up unfolding. And and I do take every kind of all-access documentary, whether it's Hard Knocks or Amazon Prime's All or Nothing, which has been the in-season version of Hard Knocks or any of these others. I take them with a grain of salt because generally the teams or their players or their representatives are usually a blend of those have some kind of editorial sway in what takes place. But that's one that really is going to be cool to monitor and very excited for it. And it leads us to number two. Netflix also going to follow the Dallas Cowboys, a 10-part series on Jerry Jones. Uh, Yeah, baby. Come on. Bring this thing on. I cannot wait to see this. Just the idea of getting a behind-the-scenes look. First of all, the Cowboys threw all of Jerry Jones' flaws. And yes, there have been many of them. One thing he's been very good at is being willing to grant access and being open about coverage that goes on around his flaw, his team's flaws and his personal flaws. And understanding that it's part of a bigger brand identity and awareness campaign with his beloved Dallas Cowboys. And yes, we all know that the truth about the Cowboys is looking a little bit like those Dallas Cowboys is peaking in the 90s. But the other reality is they are still popular despite peaking on the field in the 90s because 
because of the way Jerry Jones has conducted himself and the fact that he's pretty open. While there may be some things that are edited out, often you get, for better or in Cowboys fans' case worse, a behind-the-scenes look at this. Oh, I can't wait to actually see this. And number one on the Fast Five at five is So a couple of takeaways from Wimbledon yesterday. We touched on this at the beginning of our show, but here's the other one. For women's tennis, I love the Anj Jabor story and how she keeps fighting back and battling back. But she's lost in the final in three of the last five Grand Slams. And in heartbreaking fashion, she was up a break in both the first and second set and lost in straight sets on Saturday to Marketa Von Drusova. She lost to Iga Svatek when Svatek didn't look like she was her strong self at the U.S. Open last year. In spite of that, Iga managed to get the win in the U.S. Open final. Again, I'm as in the tank for Iga as anybody. But then, last year at Wimbledon, she had the one set to love lead and that 32 to 1 ticket that would have been a $30 pay investment netting out 960 goes up in smoke because of Elena Rabakina. In spite of all that, I love her story. She's from North Africa, Tunisia. That's not an area that's advanced in terms of supporting women's sports. And yet you've got a player that's come out of that region and has had a chance to win. But does it not feel like she's becoming the Buffalo Bills of women's tennis? That Anj Jabor knocks on the door all the time, but at this point, for better or worse, until you break through, your label is you're the Buffalo Bills. You just can't find a way to get it across the finish line, as hard as that is. And that's what makes what Carlos Alcaraz did yesterday so impressive, because he got the early break in the fifth set on Novak Djokovic, but he was down a set early. He won a tie break, which Novak Djokovic hardly ever loses those in Grand Slams. He beat Djokovic on Wimbledon for the first time since Amy Murray did it to win Wimbledon in 2013. And he clearly announced that he's here now. He's won two Grand Slams. He's done it against, I would say, as close to peak Djokovic as anybody. Medvedev beat Djokovic at the U.S. Open in 2021, but it was at the end of that calendar slam quest, and Djokovic was clearly just out of gas at that point. Yesterday, Djokovic looked like he just wasn't aggressive enough in certain spots. And Alcaraz has basically said, look, if you're going to beat me, you've got to be willing to be aggressive in certain situations. 15 to nothing advantage in terms of winner's hit in that fifth set is a deciding factor. Oftentimes when athletes lose their fastball or lose something, it does happen quickly. But I didn't see as much yesterday to believe that Djokovic is just going to flat out go away as much as it is to believe that they're now two guys that are equal in terms of where the game is in men's tennis. And it will happen sooner or later that Alcaraz pushes past Djokovic, just the law of averages, assuming Alcaraz keeps his head on straight. And I think he's positioned to do that. But God, he's got a number on everybody else in men's tennis right now, as does Djokovic. If these guys are not facing off in the finals of Grand Slams, at least for the next year and change, it's either because of injury slash wear and tear or because of an absolutely epic day off because they are clearly the best right now when it comes to men's tennis. And there is your Fast Five at five -ish. When we return in the fast lane, the Virginia Cavaliers, JerryRatcliffe.com founder, Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe. We've touched on football recruiting. How about basketball? Virginia intensifying their pursuit for another five-star, whose name I can't really pronounce, and already building a strong class there. Plus, Hootie chiming in on Jay Wolfolk, leaving the football program to focus on baseball. That kicks off covering the Commonwealth next on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app.